moving where? Everwood, Colorado. everybody, Angela Bowen here, the host of I Left My Heart in Everwood, an Everwood podcast. Well, today I am bringing you Season 1, Episode 7, We Hold These Truths, which aired on October 28, 2002. As, Ann, as Dr. Brown operates on Amy's comatose boyfriend, Colin, with the help of his friend and surgery partner from New York, Dr. Brian Holderman. Amy leans on Ephraim for support as she awaits the outcome. Meanwhile, an emotional bright breaks down and admits what actually happened the day of the car accident that put Colin in a coma. Yes, this honestly is probably going to be... Because we've had six episodes to build up to this moment of Andy deciding to operate on Colin and everything. Of course, the next episode is probably going to be the big one compared to this because Colin's going to actually wake up. And that's pretty much, we oh, we've heard so much from Amy about Colin, who he was. But this is really going to be, it jumps back in time and jumps forward to the present. So we do get that backstory on Colin, just who he was. Because the whole time, in these last six episodes, he's been in a coma. We know nothing about him other than what Amy is telling Ephraim and telling us, the viewers. So I'm excited. As I said, you know, I'm excited to go back and rewatch as I'm rewatching and, you know, podcasting these episodes for you guys. And for myself, I'm just, I'm excited to relearn about, about Colin and see him and Amy, you know, hang in bright, all hanging out. It's summertime, they're swimming, so we do get the flashback of probably her last time hanging out with, well, one of the last times of Amy hanging out with Colin. And at that time, they, they're dating each other, their boyfriend and girlfriend. So this is... I'm sorry, guys. This episode's got a 7.5 out of 10 based on 72 ratings. All right. Let's see who we got here. We got some some guest stars. We got Paul Kiernan as Dr. Castle. We got Tim Whittaker as Mole. Sam Rowley as Tooth. I don't know who they are. Wendy Wadaby Pearson as nurse number one and Michelle Peterson as nurse number two. This episode was directed by Jason Moore. Writers Greg Berlanti. Guys, I want to apologize for the noise outside. Oh, I bet it's that sweet street sweeper. I bet that's what that is. <sighs> Drives me nuts. Writer Joan Bender Weiss. Of course, I said creator Greg Berlanti. And Roger. Go Kurtz. I hear Quinny coming downstairs. She, the, the street sweeper freaks her out. Actually, I'm gonna pause it for pause this for a second. Hope that it will like get out of here. All right, here's some trivia. This episode marks the first appearance of Mike Irwin as Colin Hart. He only appears as a guest star in this episode. Edna is absent for the first time in this episode. 
Alright, oops. And here is the description from the DVD booklet. As Dr. Brown carries out a revolutionary surgery on Colin, Bright and Amy look back at events preceding the accident that left the teen comatose. Ephraim helps Amy during her waiting room vigil. Alright, so of course before I officially get into the episode, I'd like to let you newbies know where you can find the podcast on social media. It has a Facebook page, I Left My Heart in Everwood, the Everwood Podcast, or a Everwood Podcast. Also, on Instagram, it's going to be under the LBOM Wonder Years Podcast. That's actually where you can listen to the podcast as well. It's under the Looking Back at My Wonder Years and Wonder Years Podcast, which is available on iTunes, SoundCloud. I believe it's also available on Podbean as well. So, all right, without further ado, let's jump into We Hold these truths and right away we get a little refresher of Amy introducing Ephraim to comatose Colin we also see just kind of filling us in from the beginning of the show just letting us know who Colin is how the Browns are and the Abbots are connected with, with Colin and everything, with Andy being the doctor who's going to operate on Colin and everything like that. Just giving everyone kind of a refresher. So it looks like it's summertime. We're at the lake or pond or however you want to call it. And of course we get Irv's narration, Irv Harper, who is Edna Harper's husband. We later learn that all these narrations were him basically writing a book about Everwood and, well, mainly Dr. Brown. And he quotes, Every small town worth its salt has a place like this. We just see the water, we see the trees, we see the mountains. It's just very picturesque. A place where the landscape invites us to blend in for a while. Ours is called Buck's Rock. Now when I think Buck, I think of either... The dog from Call of the Wild, or a deer, like a, a buck deer. It's been graced with its own heavenly light that for most people illuminates any doubt of a higher power. The purpose of Buck's Rock is quite familiar. We see... <laughs> we see Bright getting ready to jam jump off this large broken tree limb into the river. As Irv continues, he says, Box Rock is a place where the lazy days of childhood play themselves out. A place free from the responsibilities of adult life. As we see Bright jump, leap off that broken tree into the water. A place of innocence. Okay, I was 100% wrong. That was not Bright. That was Colin jumping into the water. It's been a while since I watched these episodes. So we see Amy writing in a journal. We see Colin get out of the water and he's talking about how, like, oh, he's an Olympic diver who's on his way to get a medal. He's from Everwood, Colorado. And Bright's like, oh, your toes were curled, bro. That's a 5.5. And Amy's like, yeah, let's not even talk about your entry splash. 4.2. And Colin's like, well, the Russian judge gave me a six. And Amy's like, well, everyone knows Unga's had got a thing for you. And Colin sits down next to Amy and says, well, too bad. Unga's 
feelings are unrequited as he kisses her on the cheek and then he proceeds to shake his wet hair off in front of her face. And he's like, hey, you're next, Grover. We hear him call her by that nickname, that childhood nickname. So, and of course, you're like, man, a little bit. And Bright's like, hey, when are you going to realize my baby sister doesn't share our sense of adventure? Bright does like a, a spin into the water. Fin slash cannonball? So Amy, of course, will say, hey, you promise not to laugh if I ask you a girl question, Colin? It's like, uh, no. <laughs> She's like, what were you just thinking about when you had this look on your face? And he's talking about the fireworks. I, I guess this is right around the 4th of July. He's talking about the fireworks in Mr. Knowles' driveway that they're going to shoot off later. How they must have cost a fortune. And Amy, of course, is like, oh. And <laughs> to Colin, to you, he's a teenage boy. He's like, look, I can't think about you every second every day, Grover. It's like, sometimes I gotta take, I gotta take time to think about normal guy things like trucks, electronics. Katie Holmes, oh my gosh, is that a Dawson Creek reference or what? Because I think wasn't Dawson's Creek was still going on at this point in 2002. It's so, oh, this is so cute, just seeing Colin and Amy together, and how it's like, okay, I wasn't just thinking about uh, all that. He's, a, he's kind of reminiscing about last 4th of July, and how they were watching the fireworks and how he wished they could have went a little longer. And how the way she was kind of holding his hand just ever so lightly. <laughs> Aw, it's so cute. There we go. Now we got a real kiss. Aw. So Colin, of course, devises a plan to get Amy into the water with him. He takes her confirmation cross, her necklace, and leads her out onto the limb that's outstretched into the water. And she's like, if you drop it in the water, I will never forgive you. He's like, come and get it. Come and get it. I gotta say, I love Amy's two-piece. It's really, it's like a periwinkle color. It's really nice. And the camera kind of pulls back so you see her. It's almost like she's walking a balance beam or a tightrope as she's walking along this limb. Of course, he takes her hand to kind of guide her so she doesn't fall. Amy is so serious. She's just got this such a serious look on her face. Like, girl, you need to smile more. And they count off one, two, three, and they jump into the water. And when they both pop up in the water, she wipes her eyes laughing and she says, <laughs> I love you. And he just kind of, he, he looks at her and just kind of smiles and just swims off. So, of course, she's going to be a little butthurt. Like, oh, he didn't say it back, or he didn't have a reaction, or... That is a big... Th I, I see she got caught up in the moment, and the laughter, and the kissing, and the spending time together with Colin. And it just... She felt like she wanted to say... They've probably been dating for, what, like a year? Maybe six months? I don't know. Okay, I'm really tired of the street sweeper. It's drive. Why today of all days did it pick to do this? Because I don't want this to get on the podcast. Every small town worth its salt has a place like this. A place where the landscape invites us to blend in for a while. Ours is called Buck's Rock. It's been graced with its own heavenly light that, for most people, 
eliminates any and all doubt of a higher power. The purpose of Buck's Rock is quite familiar. It's a place where the lazy days of childhood play themselves out. A place free from the responsibilities of adult life. A place of innocence. I just hope that you keep going. Keep your hand just to the So we leave that flashback. We're in the hospital room. Amy's with Colin. She has a confirmation necklace and she puts it in his hand. And then from there we jump into the theme song. So we come out of the intro and Andy is with Colin's parents, the hearts, and he's just letting them know about the the bone fracture where the where it's located, how they'll be removing, he'll be removing it. Surgery's gonna, of course, they already know the wrists, and the procedure's pretty much gonna take like eight hours. Wow. But he is on board, and they are on board. So, so Andy tells the Hearts that he has a specialist, a surgeon, 
who is flying in from New York. He's the best. He's the one who's going to be assisting Andy during the procedure. Of course, Colin's mother does ask a, a question that I can imagine if you were in her place, you probably wanted to ask that same question is what are the odds that my son won't survive the surgery and he tells her point blank it's like it's a high-risk procedure there are no odds that I can give you and even if it if there were I'm not sure they'd provide you with much comfort so he's being honest with her yeah there's really nothing I can say that's gonna give you any comfort that's gonna help you know ease your mind in this decision that you've made so Colin's mother is like, well, I need something. Colin made a mistake when he drove that day and he's paid a horrible price. We learned what we already know that Colin, that Colin's been in a coma for over four months. So he pretty much says point, you know, he pretty much tells her it's like, that's well beyond the time frame where a meaningful recovery is likely. It's like, even if they do the surgery and he does recover, it's, not gonna be smooth sailing. He's not just gonna wake up and like, hey mom, hey dad, hey Amy. No, he's there's gonna be complications most likely. There, it's gonna be a bumpy road back. He's probably gonna have to relearn how to do things. He's probably gonna have memory issues. I mean, we're dealing with the brain, which is like main central for how your body operates in a way. I mean, you might have your, your limbs and everything, but your brain is what tells them how to work. So he tells her, the only assurance I can give you is this. In my career, I've performed over 2,600 surgeries. And he says, I have never had one where I cared more about the outcome. Now we head over to the Browns' house. And they're all talking about their uh, New York visitor that they're getting. The surgeon friend that Andy worked with is going to be staying with them as he prepares to help Andy perform the surgery on Colin. Ephraim, of course, always has to get a sarcastic quip in there with, you let a guy who's never been out of New York drive a car in the wilderness? And Andy's like, it's Uncle Brian, not Woody Allen. Delia, like, flies off that stool in the kitchen, like, he's here, he's here! And we do get a person of color, which is awesome. Uncle Brian is a person of color, that's great. So yeah, he has brought with him a bounty of stuff from New York. Sweet. So let's see, he's got two bags of H&H bagels, some Ray's pizza. Oh my gosh. And he says all eight slices individually wrapped for travel. No need to thank me. Zabar special blend. Yona Schimmel knishes. And a Brooklyn Cyclones hat for Delia. And he quizzes her and says, who are they? And she's like, a minor league team that plays on Coney Island. Duh. I kind of wonder if later on as the series does progress, granted it's only four seasons, but it seems like this tomboyish, at, you know, who we meet Delia, this is kind of who she is. It seems like by season two, definitely season three, they kind of get away from that and make Delia more... Entering into, you know, as a preteen, being kind of a girly girl. And it seems like she leaves that tomboy persona behind. But here she is still all about those ball caps. And Ephraim, of course, is like, you know, I thought I was just upset because I just missed New York. Now I can finally know true despair. 
And of course, Brian's like, yeah, despairs up your alley. You're a musician, right? And of course, everyone's like, well, not really these days. And Brian's like, well, when you hear what I brought for you, you're going to want to rededicate yourself. Ooh, what's he got for Ephraim? Bill Evans vinyl that'll change your life. I don't know who Bill, Bill Evans is. And Ephraim's like, sweet, looks at Brian and says, thanks, and well, he's gone. <laughs> Andy's got to hug his bud. Yeah. So yeah, it's been about, he says, a year since the last time they stood over an open skull and worked together. So, yeah. You let a guy who's never been out of New York City drive a car in the wilderness. Well, for Brian, not Woody Allen. So, yeah, um, Brian asked Ephraim to help him with the car. Ephraim knows about cars. Okay, that's cool. Uh, another facet to Ephraim we learned. Um, so while this is kind of joyous and everything, the Abbott house is very somber. It seems like Amy is just really, they're having dinner and... Harold, of course, is trying to be upbeat and mentions about how he purchased the satellite dish, which the family has been wanting for a while. And, of course, everyone should, I mean, tomorrow's Colin's surgery. This satellite dish is, like, not even on the radar. Harold, you really could have tabled that until, like, after Colin's surgery. I get it, he's trying to make things a little upbeat, turn their frowns upside down, but they are just, this is, Colin's surgery is just at the top. They can't think of anything else. What is with you, Harold? He's like, oh, please, hold your applause. So yeah, he says, I'm picking up from her herbs, herbs discounts tomorrow. It's like, he's like, please, hold your applause. And of course, it's like, yeah, that's great, Dad. Now he's, of course, spouting the virtues of, oh, we can watch Jeopardy in Korean if we wish. Or, guess what? It's got over 300 channels. Of what? Sure, you got your basic channels and stuff. You probably got your HBO, your Cinemax, your Showtime, your Stars, whatever. I don't even know anyone that even has a satellite dish anymore. Because I'm sure everyone... 
you know, and now even when it comes to cable, we don't have cable either. either. We cut that cord at least a, a year or two. Most likely it, it's been a couple years just because it's so expensive. Gosh, I think we were paying close to like $100. And for what? It's just easier to do the apps. You know, we got Disney Plus, we got Hulu, we got Prime, we got Netflix. And all of those are well under what we would normally pay for a, a regular cable bill with just your basic stuff on there. And that, even just with the basics, it was still like 80 plus dollars or a hundred dollars. So Rose is like, well, why are you picking up the dish? Why doesn't Herbert have a couple of his boys bring it out? And of course, Harold's like, look, I possess two university degrees and a Mensa membership, Rose. I think I can install a satellite dish. Why do I get the feeling this is going to be the biggest pain in the ass? Remember when satellite dishes back in the day, because our neighbors across the street from us had this, it was, it was huge. It was so huge. And you think, I mean, it was so big I could call down the aliens. It was that huge. He's like, we do not need to pay some tool-belted ignoramus 50 of my hard-earned dollars. Yeah, I mean, I can hook this piece of plastic up to the side of my house, no problem. I'm going to pay someone $50 to do it themselves. So Amy, of course, tells them she wants to stay in Denver for the day, you know, for Colin's surgery. And Rosalie, okay, yeah, I figure you'd want to do that. Your dad's going to watch the heart store because apparently um, Colin's parents, I don't know, do they run like a hardware store? I'm not sure what type of store, sporting goods store. I'm not sure. I don't know whether we learned that later or not. And she also says how Harold is on call, so, you know, you should ride with Bright then. And I, Bright surprises everyone by saying that he's not going to the hospital. And, of course, Amy is going to be all over him. Like, what do you mean? Colin's your best friend. Don't you think you should be there for his surgery? Yeah, and she even says, you know, you're Colin's best friend, and you haven't even gone to see him once at the hospital, and you're not going to be there for the surgery? And Brent kind of throws it in her face, saying, look, you're doing fine with this whole martyr thing. You can handle it without me. So, Brent is definitely going through his own personal hell right now. We don't know what that is, but we will be privy to it as the episode goes on. The television fanatics in the house will be happy to know that I have relented and purchased the satellite dish, which we've been clamoring for. I'm picking it up from Herb's Discounts tomorrow morning. Please hold your applause. That's great, Tim. Over 300 channels. We can watch Jeopardy in Korean if we wish. Why are you picking up the dish? Why isn't one of Herbert's boys coming to install it? I possess two university degrees and a Mensa membership rose. I do not need to pay some tool-belted <laughs> ignoramus 50 of my hard-earned dollars to hook a piece of plastic up to the side of the house. Pass the carrots. Mom, I want to spend the day in Denver tomorrow at the hospital. I just fart with you. Nice, <laughs> Jim Jimwood. I'm going to keep an eye on the heart store. Your dad's on call, so you should ride with your brother. I'm not going. What do you mean you're not going? Uh, I'm not going. Figures. Amy. 
No, I'm sorry, but I'm sick of this. Colin's your best friend. You never go see him, and now you're not even going to be there for the surgery. You're doing fine with this whole martyr thing. You can handle it without me. Be in my room, right? Get back here. Harold, just leave him. He's just scared about tomorrow. So Bright leaves the table, Harold's like, come back here, and Rose just says, Harold, I think you need to leave him be, he's just worried about the surgery. Um, Actually, it turns out Rose is going to manage the heart store because Harold's on call. Okay, gotcha. So as Bright's heading up the stairs, we get his flashback to last summer, and he's wearing... Like some colonial revolutionary, I'm not sure. You know how everyone has the Thaw Fall Festival, and they have all these other festivals, and I think this is got it. Yeah, it's right around the corner. Okay, so it's Independence Day because it's that same summer. Because Colin was talking about all oh, the Fourth of July, the fireworks and everything. So. And Bright just, and I think he's, is he in Colin's room or his own room? He's like, man, there's a reason men don't wear ruffles. Do you know what I'm getting from seeing Bright here in this colonial costume? You want to know who this reminds me of? Heath Ledger from The Patriot. From, when did that come out? Like, 99, 2000, I think? I think it was 2000, wasn't it? Yeah, because, um, oh, anyway, another thing about the satellite dish I remember I was 14 when we finally got a, when we got cable, when we got a satellite dish. And I remember getting off the school bus and just seeing, and it wasn't humongous. It was just like planted in the yard. It probably looked about as big as uh, a bike tire. It wasn't huge. I remember going into the house and my dad was watching like the CMT, you know, country music channel uh, countdown and the Faith Hill song was, uh, that was playing on it. Music video. Of course Colin's reclining on, I get this has got to be Bright's room. Because Colin's like, hey it's not that bad. If this were 1775 you'd be a total chick magnet. Okay well this is going to play a big part going forward in this flashback. Because he's, Colin's kind of laughing making fun of Bright. And Bright's like, look, you're not helping. And Colin pulls out a flask and says, oh, are you sure about that? Basically giving him, like, a little nip of courage. Here, drink a little bit of this and you'll be ready to go. Apparently, they're going to be sipping on some Crown Royal. Uh, Colin swiped it from his dad's liquor cabinet. So, Bright takes a couple pulls from the flask. And Colin's like, hey, man, slow down. That's got to last all day. And Bright's like, gosh, I don't think I'm going to survive a whole day dressed like this. There's a reason men don't wear ruffles. It's not that bad. If it were 1775, he'd be a total chick magnet. You're not helping. I'm not. Are you sure about that? Where'd you sweep this? Dad's liquor cabinet. Crown Royal got from a client last year, and trust me, if you knew that you were going to stand in front of the entire town wearing that, he'd want you to have it. Hey, slow down, man. It's supposed to last all day. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'll last all day. <laughs> Careful. Don't want to ruin that pretty outfit, do you? Let's get moving, people. Hey, Dr. Abbott. You're looking revolutionary. Thank you, Colin. Hey, very cool. Kentucky long rifle, right? <laughs> 
Shirley Maple, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed. You know a thing or two about vintage weaponry. Ah, I've got some light reading. It's not every day that our family gets honored by this thankless community. I wanted to make the most of it. This is an honor. City Council chose us to represent this entire town in this here's 4th of July assembly. Do you know why? Because you told me you paid the costumes yourself? Because we, the Abbots, represent everything people in this community wish they were. We demand respect from our neighbors. They look up to Damn, him. he is on his high fucking horse. And don't forget to take the scroll with you. I don't need the scroll, Rose. I have the entire thing memorized, of course. My father was the crier. They talked about it for weeks. Do you think he used the scroll? If the British knew they were losing you, they would have fought a little harder. All right, let's get going, people. I want to keep our public waiting. Uh, Dad, if you didn't have any people there today, you think I could borrow that rifle to shoot myself? <laughs> So Colin comes down, he's admiring the rifle that Harold is using as a prop, and I guess the townspeople picked the abbots, and of course Harold's gotta throw a dig at Everwood saying, oh, these thankless people, this worthless town and everything like that, and you know why they picked us, because they look up to us, we, this family, the abbot family represents, uh, and demands uh, respect and everything like that. So it's a big honor. Of course, Amy comes down, won't even look at Colin. So I think if we don't have to think very hard to know, I think the reason she's upset is because she said I love you and he didn't say anything back. So, of course, she breezes past him because he even says, you know, of uh, what do you say? Like, if the... People in the war had known they were losing you. They would have fought harder or something like that. So we come out of the flashback and we hear how the day, the 4th of July was the day that that accident happened. The truck overturned and Colin and his passenger were thrown from the truck. So clearly they weren't wearing seatbelts. Great. So Andy tells Brian that the passenger, Bright, got by with minor injuries. He is damn lucky that he didn't wind up in a coma as well. Of course, Andy says that Bright doesn't remember a thing about the accident, but I'm beginning to wonder if he's been kind of lying this whole time. Like, Bright's clearly bothered by something. I think he may be hiding something. So... Andy also says how Colin's ICP hasn't changed. Everything's pretty much stayed the same. There's been no change in his... Well, clearly, you know, he hasn't come out of this coma. And it's been... Well, if it happened on the 4th of July, they're probably now what? And it's been like four months. So August, September, October. So it's got to be late October at this point. Maybe November. And Brian kind of tell, oh yeah, he says, oh, it looks like tomorrow we're going to be climbing Mount Everest. So they're, he, you know, they both know it's risky surgery. Like this kid could die under their, under their hands and under their care. And Brian gives Andy a little news from back home saying that Paul Yates performed, um, let's see it. Oh yeah, it was a double aneurysm. Jeez. And of course, the way Andy says, Paul Yates, that lifetime minor leaguer? And Brian's like, hey, you left. People had to step up and take over. 
Like, basically, they had to do with the next best candidate to take on these tests of doing uh, brain surgery. So clearly this Paul Yates guy is uh, got other priorities other than uh, what he should be doing because he was pressed for time and eh, <laughs> and Brian's like, yeah, the guy had hairspray tickets. And he's like, this guy's totally deranged. So apparently this Paul Yates guy is living under the shadow of the great Dr. Brown and how he wants to be the next great Andy Brown, as Brian pretty much tells him. It's like, well, then you can't be complaining about, oh, I gotta get the surgery done. I gotta go see Hairspray on Broadway. Like, the fuck? No, when you're doing that shit in the, um, the surgery, you're asking the, and you're, all of you needs to be focused 110% on what you're doing, or otherwise, your patient's gonna die under your hands. Of course, Brian takes a moment to make a crack about Andy's beard. I'd love to be you, minus the beard. And Brian asks how the kids are adjusting. And, yeah, Andy's like, well, is adjusting well. But it's Ephraim is the main concern. And <laughs> basically how Andy puts it, he says, Ephraim would hate me in every one of the contiguous states plus Hawaii and Alaska. So, yeah, he's like, well, we may as well be here. Because <laughs> it's not going to matter where we go. Ephraim's just going to hate me regardless. So Brian wants to know how tomorrow's going to go down. Like, all right, give me the lowdown. How are we approaching this? So Andy's talking some... Doctor shop talk, talking about a lateral parapetrosal skull base approach to the brainstem, which I have the subtitles on. So, and he explains how there'll be some swelling, but hopefully the surrounding vessels won't be spasmatic. Wait, is that a spasm? Spasmatic. Okay. So Brian wants to know why he is here. Why did Andy? choose to have him come in from New York. He's like, yeah, I'm flattered that you wanted me, but I checked and uh, the team they have working on Colin was available. And Andy pretty much just sums up like, hey, I thought it'd be good to have a familiar and trusted face in the room. Andy says how he has a slight case of performance jitters. Well, I can imagine there's a lot riding on this surgery. A lot. I mean, not just Colin's parents, you have the Abbey. Basically, what we're going to learn is he's got the whole town riding on his shoulders with the expectance that this man, this miracle man who's proven to make miracles happen in other surgeries, they're expecting the exact same outcome with this. They're, they're just going based on reputation alone, Regardless of any complications that could come along, this guy's going to fix it because he is the miracle man. He is the great Dr. Brown. And Andy says how he's really going to need Brian there, you know, if we have a shot at this. And Brian is picking up on if and shot. He's like, you're talking like you've never done this. And Andy's like, well, I haven't. Not this exact surgery. If you think about all of the surgeries this man has performed where... It almost feels like the odds are stacked against them. And when I mean the odds, I mean so much is riding on the outcome of the surgery. 
So Brian's pretty much telling Andy that he he basically is a miracle man. He says, when you took me under your wing, wing, I never believed that we're, there were people put on this earth simply to fix God's mistakes. And I'm thinking, God doesn't make mistakes. And Brian says, that's the kind of gift that doesn't go away, so sleep easy. I like that he is that confidence boost for Andy. And Brian tells him, you're going to be great. Truck overturned and Colin and his passenger both thrown from the truck. Passenger got by with minor injuries. Doesn't remember a thing about the accident. Colin, as you can imagine, didn't fare as well. His ICP's been well managed, but nothing's changed. So tomorrow we get to climb Mount Everest. Just about. <laughs> Paul Yates performed a double aneurysm last week. Paul Yates? That lifetime minor leaguer? You're not there anymore, Andy. People had to step up. Check this out. He was pressed for time. Problems with cerebral perfusion. Close. Airspray tickets. The guy's totally deranged. He wants to be you. Well, I wouldn't mind being you. Minus the beer. <laughs> yeah, well, being me's not all it's cracked up to be these days. Come on. Can't be all that bad. What are kids doing? Well, Dinia's adjusting well. She's a trooper. An effort? Ephraim would hate Maine and every one of the 48 contiguous states, plus Hawaii and Alaska, so we might as well be here. About tomorrow, boss. What's the deal? We'll take a lateral paratrosal skull base approach to the brainstem. There'll be some frankable swelling, but hopefully the surrounding vessels won't be spasmodic. I was wondering, though, why I'm here. I'm flattered that you wanted me, but the kids' team was available. I checked around. Latham stops. So is Murdoch. I thought it'd be good to have a familiar and trusted face in the room. And, uh, to be honest with you, I, uh, I have a slight case of performance jitters. Been dormant. It's normal. Anyway, I'm probably going to rely on you more than usual tomorrow if we're going to have a shot at If? A shot? Boss, you're talking like you've never done this before. I haven't not this exact surgery. Like there's any order of difficulty in the miracles you performed? Well, I'm a different person now. I may just be out of miracles. Well, you know. And how do you know? Before you took me under your wing, Andy, I never believed that there were people put on this earth simply to fix God's mistakes. That's the sort of gift that doesn't go away. <laughs> Sleep easy, Dr. Brown. You're going to be great. So it's the next morning as Andy's getting ready for surgery. He's in the bathroom. Delia's hanging out on the counter. She's handing him the towel. And she tells Andy how she doesn't think she's going to be a brain surgeon when she grows up. And Andy's like, really? Why not? And she's like, well, for one thing, you had to wake up early even on Saturday. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that can be a drawback. And she also adds how she wants to be a tap dancer. And he's like, well, wait a minute, I thought you were going to be a fireman. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to do that too during the day. So one thing that Delia is worried about with Andy doing this surgery is if he's going to fall back into old habits of, oh, are you going to have to work at the hospital all the time again? 
And he's like, no, honey, just today. And she's like, good. And she hands him what looks like just a typical um, Gillette razor. And he says, oh, I don't use that one anymore. So Andy tells her to go wake up Uncle Brian. She goes out to the living room. Brian's on the couch. And she's like, Uncle Brian, wake up. You have to go do brain surgery. She leans down in his ear. And he, like, growls. like, And he grabs her head. Wow, Ephraim is getting breakfast ready. That's uh, different. <laughs> Definitely judging by Andy's expression. Like, wow. Because, yeah, there's orange juice. There's milk out on, on the uh, counter there. And he's like, hey, do you want butter? Or do you want cream cheese? And Andy, I mean, his jaw's like on the floor. Like, what? My son getting breakfast ready? Getting up early on a Saturday? That's not Ephraim. Where's my son? <laughs> bagels all different types of bagels and Andy's like Ephraim you didn't have to do all this and Ephraim's like yeah well I mean I was up I couldn't sleep oh Brian brought mixtapes I guess it's music they listen to while they're performing surgeries and Ephraim of course answers wrong you know there's this uh, invention called a CD player you might want to check it out Oh, it turns out those tapes were made by Ephraim's mom for Andy's surgeries. Interesting. The way that Julia made these mixtapes, she picked the songs based on the kind of surgery they did. Wow. You know, I noticed when I was working in the factory and stuff, and whenever I listened to music and not podcasts, I would notice whenever a fast song would come on, it's like my body would have this energy coursing through it and make me want to work faster but when a slow song or a ballad came on or a sad song it just felt like my body just kind of like slowed down and it just it's really weird how I would notice like wow it's like fast music gets me pumped but slow music like slows me down and calms me and relaxes me so Andy gives an example of this by saying was it Glioma 97 has an upbeat Motown kind of feel? Whereas Triple Aneurysm 99, an angry lesbian with a guitar mix. And Andy's favorite, Middle Fossa Skull Base Tumor 2000. It's like, which one you want today? And Andy's like, I don't know, why don't we wait until we get there? Andy is surprised when Ephraim hands him a CD. Like, here, add this to your collection. Okay, interesting. Alright, I like it. And the CD reads Brainstem 2002. And Andy's like, you made this? Ephraim, of course, doesn't want any flair. Like, it's no big deal. Like, Andy, just take the CD and you don't have to say anything. You're going to make it awkward. Oh, he says, Ephraim says he was fiddling around with iTunes. He's like, alright, I'm going back to bed, bye. He's like, because both Brian and Andy are just looking at Ephraim like, this is so un-Ephraim-like to just, like, want to be involved in some way. I mean, getting up, making breakfast, making a CD to play during the surgery. He's like, okay, I'm going back to bed. This is just, yeah. And Brian's like, wow, mixed CDs, a whole new world. He can't hate you all that much. Oh, yeah, you should have had someone come and install it for you, Harold. Oh, my, this is going to be a nightmare in itself. He's got instructions probably in every language. He's got all his tools splayed out. He's got, oh, my gosh, 
wires upon wires. I like how in a way we kind of get some comedic relief through Harold with the seriousness of this episode and everything. So Harold is trying and failing to put this satellite dish together. He's got the instructions, he's got the wires, he's got the this, that. <laughs> yeah. Bright, of course, has got his jacket on. He's ready to bounce. Of course, Harold is like, hey, I want to talk to you. And Bright's like, look, I really don't want to talk right now. And Harold's like, well, I want to talk about Dr. Brown. And Bright is like, Bright is like, yeah, I know he's like the axis of evil or whatever. And Harold is like, yes, he is that. But he's also an unbelievable surgeon. So I think Harold thinks that maybe Bright is just nervous about the surgery with Colin and whether or not he's going to come through. But little does Harold know what's going on with Bright actually runs a lot deeper. He's actually been harboring a lot of guilt for the last four months. We'll find out. I'm not going to say what, but he's been harboring a little secret since the day of Colin's accident. So Bright kind of blows up at Harold a little bit. Uh, wait, Bright, <laughs> come here a second. I don't really feel like talking about it. No, 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 no. I want to tell you something. <laughs> it's about Dr. Brown. Yeah, he's the access speaker. I know. Yes, he is. But he's also an unbelievable surgeon. In fact, if he wasn't so annoying in every single aspect of his existence, I'd say we were lucky to have him in this town. What's your point? Right, my point is Colin is in good hands. You know, I don't want to talk about Colin. I understand. You don't don't understand. Just forget it. I will be back in a few hours. Right. Yeah, Bright kind of says, Dad, you don't understand, okay? I'm going to be gone for a couple hours. He doesn't want to talk about Colin. He doesn't want to hear about how he's in good hands with Dr. Brown and everything like that. So he leaves. Now we go back over to... Remember when I brought up that Norman Rockwell painting of the doctor and the kid with the doll? They have a ginormous poster picture frame size of that painting in their house. Uh, Andy does. Well, the phone rings, and Ephraim picks it up. It's actually Amy. She's at the hospital. Ephraim's like, oh, are you all right? She's at a a pay phone, because she doesn't have a cell phone. So, yeah, Amy's just making a little small talk. I guess they're prepping Colin for surgery and everything, and Ephraim's like, yeah, they're probably shaving his head, you know, because they're dealing with a brain, so clearly they gotta have a a shaved head to be able to, you know, not have hair in the way. Um, and of course, she's like, oh, what are you up to? He's like, ah, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, finish up some math homework, read a couple comics, eat lunch, that kind of thing. <laughs> we joked, I'm falling asleep just listening to myself. So yeah, Amy kind of called Ephraim just to have a little, uh, some sense of normalcy for a hot second while everything's going on, you know, in the operating room. She wants to stay close by in case there's any news. And, of course, she hangs up before Ephraim can get the words out. More than likely, he's probably thinking to ask, oh, do you want me to come down there with you, hang out maybe, keep you company? 
But of course she hung up before he probably got the chance to ask that. Do you know what I noticed? Just looking at Ephraim's hair. Remember how it was more purple violetish in the pilot? You can see strands of it still lingering. But you can definitely see his regular brown hair kind of coming through. Like the roots are showing. Alright, looks like we're going to jump back four months earlier to the 4th of July festivities in Everwood. Harold's trying to get Amy to come to the stage. Turns out his mic isn't working. Oh, I love how he's wearing sunglasses. Like, you know they didn't wear those in the 1700s, right? Well, it's probably blisteringly hot and bright outside so yeah so he comes down the steps and he's like help me okay your mother is out there kissing babies like it's election day yeah so harold is just about ready to uh bust a nerve here it's like your brother's missing in action i cannot seem to locate that orchestra's conductor you, honey i need you to help me out here so he's like oh we gotta come up with a signal so the orchestra knows when to start playing and amy's like dad it's not an orchestra. I'm sorry for the fireworks, guys. It's like 10 o'clock at night and people are still shooting them off. Yes, Quinny, I understand, baby. Fireworks can be scary. Okay? It's alright. Here, let me open the door for you if you want to get out. There you go. You can get out if you need to. <laughs> Uh, but she's like, Dad, it's not an orchestra. It's the school band. And Amy's like, and your conductor is Mr. Mendick over there who's inhaling a corn dog. Oh, that is so cool. Someone spray painted the American flag in the grass. Oh, that's so, I like that. So Harold just tells her to find Bright. Where's Bright? Go find him. I don't know if I this good. We need funny. We need Harold's comedic over-the-topness with the seriousness of this episode. Amy Abbott, please report to the stage. Your mother is out there kissing babies like it's election day. Your brother's missing in action. I cannot seem to locate the orchestra's conductor. We, we need to establish a signal <laughs> so that these people know when to start playing. The timing is crucial. <laughs> It's not an orchestra. It's the school band, and your conductor is Mr. Mendick, who's inhaling <coughs> corndog over there. Right, thank you, thank you. Uh, go find your brother. We on? Hello? So I wonder, does Harold have his own theme? Whenever he comes on, I love the, it's like the Everwood Cornball show. <laughs> well, when it's just Harold being Harold. Um, but of course, Amy, you know, I love her and Harold's relationship. They are such a good father-daughter. I just, I really like it. So, she goes off, she finds Bright with Colin, they're sipping off that flask. It's like, Bright, what are you doing? Dad needs you. So you better get over there, pop a, a breath mint, because your breath reeks of Crown Royal. Why? He's not making the speech. I'm wearing tights. 
relationship I have ever had. So yeah, like I said, uh, Colin's given Bright, as he calls it, a little nip of courage. Liquid courage. <laughs> and of course, Amy's like, yeah, well, you better hope Dad doesn't find out. And Bright's like, well, how's he gonna tell? She's like, your breath numb nuts. <laughs> oh, I love the dig she gets at him. I really do. And Colin's like, oh, it's fine. He's had like 7,000 breath mints. <laughs> And she even tells, like, Bright doesn't have to make a speech, okay? So, not like he needs that, uh, needs to be sipping off that flask. Of course, she won't even acknowledge Colin. Like, we're late, we gotta go meet my dad. Of course, he apologizes and she turns on him, says, Colin, you don't even know what you're apologizing for. He's like, yeah, I'm apologizing for whatever the hell I did to piss you off. And of course, he knows right away what it is. It's what happened at Buck's Rock earlier with what she said. He didn't say it back. And she's like, you didn't have to say it back. I just wish you would have. And I just, I think it's so sweet how he says, you know, you are the longest relationship I have ever had. And he's like, you're my girl. And it says, oh, my heart is melting. He's like, hey, you want to go watch the fireworks later? She's like, huh. She says, really, I don't know. Does she give him a yes or no? And then she walks away. And he's like, what, you're not going to kiss me goodbye? And she's like, I'm late. And I'm like, oh, my God, is she going to regret that? So now we go back to the brown house. We got Nina coming in with some snacky snacks for the little munchkins for Delia and Sam. Does Ephraim get a cookie? Those are cookies, aren't they? Gosh, I feel like we haven't seen Nina in a, in a bit. Where you been, girl? Hiding out next door? Recovering from that baby? Ephraim's at the kitchen table on his Apple laptop product placement. Oh, she did bring him some cookies. Oh, Delia's actually over... Ooh, what are those cookies? They got, like, powdered sugar. They look like... What are those? They look good. Is she going to tell us what they are? But, so, Delia is over at Sam. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, Nina's asking about Andy. Has Ephraim heard from him? Or, I 
at all. And he's thinking, well, no, not yet. But these things usually take like 10 hours. I don't think Andy's going to take a break. Like, oh, let me call my son and give him an update for Nina. So Nina's like, well, you're probably used to this, huh? And he's like, yeah, I mean, although usually I don't know the person, so it's a little different. Granted, he doesn't really know no Colin. He's not met him pre-coma, so, but he knows Amy, and in a way he's kind of met Colin through her, you know, in her stories about him. I'm going to play this clip with uh, Ephraim and Nina. I think we don't really, haven't really gotten any scenes with them. This might be one of the first. I mean, they did share and exchange a few words when that deer came into the house. But other than that, but no, they're talking about Amy and they're talking about Colin because she's like, oh, you know Colin? And he's like, no, Amy, Amy Abbott. She's a friend of mine from school. And Nina's like, oh, yeah, she's a sweet girl. Yeah, she is very sweet, yes. Delia was in too much trouble. What, are you kidding? Sam's in his glory. Delia made a pillow for it, and they're defending the living room against mutant raptors. <laughs> um, any word from your dad yet? Uh, not yet. No, but these things usually take, like, ten hours. Oh. I guess you must be pretty used to this, though, huh? Kinda. Although, I don't usually know the person, so uh, it's a little different. You know Colin? Amy. Amy Abbott, yeah. Friend of mine from school. <laughs> She is a sweet girl. She babysits for Sam once in a while. So what's he like? Colin. Oh. He's a charmer. You know, he's the kind of kid who forgets to mow your lawn for two weeks, and then when he finally comes, you end up paying him for three. He was all state football. I was pretty smart, too. So he's basically like God. No, he'd like him. He'd like you, too. Thanks. Um... I was Amy holding up. I don't know. I mean, she sounded a little weird on the phone earlier, but yeah. She probably could use a friend right about now. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm the best person for that. Why's that? Let's just say there's some issues. Like? Like I think she's amazing and beautiful and completely out of my league. She agrees. I mean, if she wanted me at the hospital, she could have asked me. Could she have? But going to the hospital is something that you think you can handle and go. Because chances are, Ephraim, she probably really wants you there, but she just doesn't feel like she has the right to ask you. If you want to go, that's okay, too. You don't have to be the best friend that helps her get through this. You just have to decide what kind of friend you want to be. You know, I forgot how good women are at this stuff. <laughs> so everyone kind of asks, like, what's Colin like? Because he only knows about him through Amy and her stories of putting him on a pedestal. And it seems like everybody in this town puts that boy on a pedestal. And she even says, you know, he's a real, he's a charmer he's the type of guy who forgets to mow your lawn for two weeks and you end up paying him for three and you know he's all state football he's smart too and Ephraim's like oh so he's basically like god isn't this guy can do no wrong and it's it's just i get that Ephraim we've known since the first episode that the moment he saw amy he was hooked he was just <sighs> tractor beam and he's just heard so much about 
the great Colin Hart. And it's just, and, and just to hear it from someone else other than Amy. And she's like, oh my God. It's like, he can't compete with that. But then again, Amy's not asking you to compete with him because that's her boyfriend. And they start talking about, you know, Amy sounded a little weird on the phone. And she's like, well, why didn't you go to the hospital to be, you know, help her out? He's like, well, I, she didn't ask me and I didn't know if it was right for me to. And I just, I love the advice that Nina gives to him. It's like, you could be the friend that helps her through this. You just got to decide what type of friend you want to be. Maybe she doesn't feel she has the right to ask you. In a way, like, maybe she feels like, oh, what if I'm taking advantage of Ephraim's friendship because, you know, of of Colin, even though I could really use his support, even though, in a way, like, maybe she feels like if she asks him to come down, like, oh, hopefully he doesn't feel I'm leading him on, sort of giving him hope that there could be something between us when clearly he should know that my heart belongs to Colin and everything like that. And I love her from saying, why is it that women are so good at this? It's like, because she's had years of practice, son. That's why. We now see Bright. He's hanging out at um, Buck's Rock, where they were all hanging out at the beginning of the episode. You know, Bright, Colin, and Amy. And I think he's going to have another flashback of his. And I think we're going to eventually see what took place as in we know he was hurt in a car accident well now we get to see the build-up we've seen a little bit of the build-up but now we actually get to see it start to form and we get to see it from bright's point of view and we go back to the fourth of july colonial times and harold is up there reading from the scroll or not because he's, you know, he said he had it memorized. Everyone out there on the lawn looks bored off their asses. They're like, I could be anywhere else. Ugh. Doing anything else. Plus it's probably hotter than Hades out. Like, how much longer? Of course, as Harold's waving his white cloth, Mr. Mendick, the uh, school's conductor thinks that's the cue to start playing the band and of course Harold's like no no Mr. Mendick it's not time that was not the signal Amy's like dad dad please nobody was listening anyways let's go oh Colin or <laughs> Bright just jumps off that stage like I'm out of here bye he can't get out of there fast enough Colin comes up and says hey Johnny Tremaine want to see something that'll knock your pantaloons off <laughs> Uh, because Bright's wearing tights. So, looks like this is Colin's dad's new truck. And it's like, whoa, sweet. And, of course, Colin's saying how his dad doesn't know jack about this. Because if this was my truck, he says he'd spike the tires, get a short change shifter at minimum. I don't know what a short change shifter is, but apparently Colin knows about vehicles. So, of course, looks like we got a couple... Guys from high school that were driving by, seeing Colin's dad's new truck. Like, hey, we're going to go mudding in the field. Let's see if your old man's new truck can go up against ours. 
Boys being boys, and boy oh boy is it gonna get him in trouble. Hey Johnny Tremaine, you wanna see something that'll knock your pantaloons off? Sweet. Is your dad's new truck? Yeah, he doesn't know Jack. If this was mine, I would splite the tires, get a Molly crawler short chain shifter at minimum. Smash truck hard! <laughs> Too bad at your daddy's. Whatever, McNally. Like I can't drive this whenever I want. I'm sure you can. Besides, your brother there is still the kid who threw up on the DMV guy during his driving test. <laughs> We're going up to Millersville right now for some off-roading. You two in? Hell yeah, we'll see you in 20. <laughs> Dude, what about your dad? Look, we'll be back before the fireworks start. He'll never even know the difference. Come on, let's go. All right, on one condition? What? Take me all the change first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we did see the start of this. Of course, they're going to go join in those other guys out in a field somewhere for some off-roading. As <laughs> Bright's like, hey, um, I'll go with you, but can we please stop by my house so I can change out of these revolutionary clothes? <laughs> Thank you. Of course, as Colin's backing up his dad's truck, we see Amy there. I'm guessing she was hoping she and Colin could hang out more. Nope, it's a guy's thing. As we go back to present day and we are in the operating room as Andy puts in the CD. Is it Andy that puts it in? But uh, puts it in the player to get ready to perform the surgery. So while the surgery is taking place, there are going to be cut scenes interspliced with everything that's taking place during the off-roading session with Bright and Colin and then whoever the other... Uh, McKinley, McKelly, whatever those brothers' names are. Oh, there's a song playing. It sounds like something from the 30s or 40s. As The opening lines are, I've got you under my skin. And Andy is just like, that's my boy. <laughs> Knows how to pick the music. So basically, it's a chip that's lodged in the stem where it shouldn't be. And they're thinking they should be able to just go in there pull the chip out, go in there and just clean everything up and it should be good. But it looks like there are going to be complications that they didn't foresee coming in the surgery. Looks like they found a smaller chip that's also lodged. It was just so small that they didn't pick it up on the x-ray. So, yep. Looks like Anything that's been scheduled after this is going to be postponed. Any other surgeries for that day because it's going to take a little bit longer than they planned. Alright, let's go back to Colin and Bright in the truck. So, the guys are having fun just driving that truck around. It's getting muddier and muddier by the second. It's a looks like an F-150, Ford F-150. Yeah, they're going to have to run that thing through a car wash if they don't want his dad to find out. That they took it. Because he's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll be back before the fireworks. My dad will never know we took it. Oh, the other guy is like, oh, we got to head back. We don't want to miss the fireworks. Okay, so Colin's going to hand the keys off to... Colin's going to hand them off to Bright. And Bright's like, are you sure this is okay? And Colin's like, hey, you cannot miss this. This is unbelievable. 
of course, Bryce like, yeah, but I'm still kind of messed up from before. As in, how many sips has he taken off that flask throughout the day? Yeah. And Bryce like, what if I scratch the truck up? And, of course, Colin's like, yeah, what are you going to hit? A dust ball? Come on, man. Don't, don't hold out on me. Come on, Bryce. So now Bright is behind the wheel. He and Colin are having fun time, whooping it up. Yes, woo, yeah! We cut to the hospital present day. We got Amy at the vending machines. Ephraim decides to show up. He's got his bag with him. Maybe he's got some cool stuff in there. You know, something to pass the time. So Ephraim's like, hey, you're holding up the line. And she's like, Ephraim, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I wanted it to it, so... And she's like, well, you came a long way. He's like, yeah, well, I mean, there's there's two in a pack, so. I love how he's like, yeah, I, I really only wanted one. Uh, yeah. Clever, Ephraim. Clever, clever. Like, I needed someone to share them with. Oh, That sounds like such a clever line to, to land with somebody. It almost sounds like a Twix commercial. It sounds like an idea for a Twix commercial if it hasn't already been done see what he's got in that old bag of goodies. Maybe some games. Maybe... Who knows? Books? Manga? You know, he likes the comics. The manga. Or is it manga? Manga? Manga. I think it's manga. But it's kind of funny because, you know, they just have a regular Twix. There are so many different types of Twix out there now. There's like, uh, peanut butter is really good. Um... I think there was, like, a dark chocolate twi Twix as well. I think I tried, like, a salted caramel one once, and it was just gross. Travel Boggle. I don't know. I'm not huge on Boggle. I just, when I played with Jeremy and his mom, it was just amazing how fast they were picking up words, and I'm just like, I'm so slow at this. Sometimes when other people are better at a game, it makes me want to play even less. But that's just me. Travel checkers. Travel scrabble. That sounds like a tongue twister you could try to say five times fast. Travel scrabble, travel scrabble, travel scrabble, travel scrabble, travel scrabble. I got <laughs> a regular sized version of Clue. Well, okay. Don't you need more than two people for that? I swear you need more than two. Why didn't he bring that? You know what's a fun game? Remember that, that guess who game? That's, that's a, that probably would have fit more. And that you can have, you only really need two people. I swear you need at least three or four people for, for a clue. And she's like, what, there's an a travel size clue? You know, I bet nowadays, you know, I want to look that up. I'm going to look, I bet there's got to be by now a travel size version of clue. Let me check it out. Let's see. Travel size clue. Oh my goodness, I can't spell to save my life. C L U E. Let's see. I bet there is. Oh, there's a bunch of them. Oh, there's like travel size 
Clue, Monopoly, Hungry Hippos, and Connect Four. Oh, Clue Grab and Go Game. Oh, it's only $5.44. That's on sale from the normal $8.99. And if you have Prime, you can get it delivered by July 1st. <laughs> What's this one? Master Logic Game and STEM Toy. Teaches critical thinking skills. What's this? Clue Connect Four. Bat. Oh, there's a travel grab and go game and travel size battleship game. Wow. Oh, here we go. If you just wanted Clue by itself, the card game, it's only $5, guys. Oh, there's a one for problematic trouble grab and go. How does that work? Does it get a picture? Oh, that's cool. Oh, I like that. Guys, oh my gosh. I should think of getting some of these for um, our trip coming up. But if that, that suggestions, guys, if you're going on road trips and you got, you know, kids and stuff and you need something to occupy them other than their electronics, there you go. Bing, bang, boom. You got your, your, your miniature card games. So Ephraim, in 2020, there is a travel size version of Clue. So you don't gotta haul around a backpack with a giant regular sized version. <laughs> He's even got a Webster complete dictionary handy on him. Alright. <laughs> I love how Ephraim's holding that Webster's concise pocket dictionary saying, never say I didn't come prepared. He's got the cutest smile on. Oh god! I love his eyes too. Beautiful blue eyes. Look at me, this 37-year-old, almost 38 adult, gushing over. This is me, 2002, when I was first watching this episode. Granted, I was 20 years old then, but even still, it's just like, ugh. So Amy's like, wow, you must have lived at the hospitals back in New York. And Ephraim's like, no, actually, this is the first time I've been since my dad was working. Just because his dad was working on patients in a hospital, why would he be going there to to wait for his, you know, while his dad was in surgery? It's not like, hey, Lundy, how you doing, buddy? How you doing? You silly boy. Boo. My bun bun, my little rabbit decided to come in and make mischief. <laughs> Let me guess, you going to drink out of that water bowl? Are you going to drink out of Quinn's water bowl? You silly webbit. Hmm? Okay. He does that on occasion. And he has a little pouch for the letters and opens it up for her. Says, all right, pick your letters. And she says, you're a good friend, Ephraim. And he's like, so are you. That is a Twix commercial if I ever thought of one. Travel bottle. Travel checkers. Travel scrabble. And clue. There's a travel size clue? 
Well, Professor Plum wouldn't look as cool, travel sized and squashed up. So, make your pick. Excellent choice. And, in case I have to challenge you, never say I didn't come prepared. Unless I look at the hospital back in here. Actually, this is the first time I've been since my dad was working. Letters. You're a good friend, my friend. Alright, so we go into the operating room and we have one of the nurses that's assisting the surgery as Andy. What are we listening to? And she, he's like, oh, it's a, it's a CD. My son made it for me. She's like, oh, <laughs> I'm sure Andy's like, yeah, my son, he like never makes me anything. So <laughs> I just had to play it. He doesn't say that, but in my mind, that's probably what he's like. My son made me a CD. He doesn't make me anything. <laughs> so it looks like they're getting a little bit of bleeding here that apparently they had packed off about two hours ago and looks like it's starting to come back with a fury and fast and you know Andy's just saying come on Colin hold on hold on buddy pressure's labile ready right now I'm gonna start leaving bed <laughs> now feel still flooded cottonoid this is your phone hold on hold on go for it go for it pressure's 70 over 40 So yeah, we go, we keep, we cut in between them trying to get that chip out of Colin's brainstem and dealing with that difficulty to right behind the wheel. And they're just, you know, he and Colin are having a fun time. Colin's still sipping off that flask. I'm surprised there's anything left between those two boys. <laughs> but it's like, I think they like hit a ditch or something or like, um... They they hit something because you see Colin say Bright and Bright is just like shit. So Bright comes home. Harold still <laughs> he, Harold looks a mess. His shirt is all just disheveled and he's just like his hair is all mussed. Like I am just had it with this satellite dish. Okay. And it looks like I think Bright is going to confess something that he's been holding in this whole time. Right, what is it? I remember everything. <laughs> My last 4th of July, I remember everything that happened that day. Well, that's, that's natural. It's been a while. The immediate effects of the trauma. I always have. Afternoon, he stole some stuff from his dad's liquor cabinet from Colin. We were drinking. Before I know it, the ceremony is over and these guys are going to go off roading. No, the truck was there and I knew we shouldn't have taken it. We get up to Miller's Field, he says that I can drive. Oh, oh, wait, 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 slow down. You're, you're not making any sense. It was me, Dad. I was driving the truck when the accident happened. Not Colin. 
Sergeant Danford said it was in Zuma where Colin's body landed that he was driving. I let him think it. And you're drinking too. Yeah. I was. You see, it's my fault. Now, if Colin dies, it's going to be like I killed him. Like I killed my best friend. I wanted to tell you what happened. I should have told you, and I'm sorry, Dad. So sorry. Amy's going to hate me forever. So, yeah, Bright was the one who was driving, which we saw in the flashbacks, and he comes in and he tells his Harold, I remember everything from that day. And, of course, Harold's chalking it up to, oh, well, the trauma you must have felt and everything like that, you probably blocked it out. And Bright's like, no, I remember everything. I never forgot it. I've always remembered and he's saying how Colin stole liquor from his dad's liquor cabinet. Some guys invited them to go off-roading with Colin's truck. They shouldn't have taken it. And it turns out Bright was the one behind the wheel, not Colin. And, of course, Harold's like, well, wait a minute. The deputies said that Colin was the one behind the wheel. And Bright's like, yeah, because when Colin fell out of the truck, that's where his body was. So I just let the deputy think that... Colin had been driving and he's like if Colin dies then it's gonna be like I killed him like I killed my best friend and he's even thinking of Amy like Amy is never gonna forgive me for this and it's just like and you see I mean I think Chris Pratt I mean even though we've only you know this is only like the seventh episode and we haven't seen a whole lot of bright but we gotten enough like oh he's kind of a, a duh head but Chris Pratt did a pretty dang good job here he didn't break down fully but his eyes were watering and this i mean think about four months is a long time to keep a secret like especially something as tragic as that you know the fact that you because you were driving and you flipped that truck and you boys weren't wearing seat belts and your friend is not in a coma because of you being behind the wheel and being reckless and careless and you've been drinking, I can imagine that guilt's gotta be have must have been eating him up inside. Oh why Bright did you choose now to tell Colin's fa oh I <laughs> This is not the time. I know he wants to be honest, clear his conscience and everything, but are you this is not the time for that. But then again, when is gonna be a good time? To break the news. But then again, it's like, why now, after all this time? Is it just because Bright wants to clear his conscience? Because he's felt guilty? The idea, like, maybe if Colin were not to make it through the surgery, is it just... I don't know. Uh, if you guys hear that noise, it's the fireworks. And you think, like, oh, maybe, you know, Colin's dad is going to be like, oh, I'm glad that you told me that. I know that took a lot of courage. Um, uh, judging by the look on his face, it does not look he's gonna say anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you waited until today to tell us. <laughs> I just, I just want to understand. <laughs> Four months after all is said and done, I find out that Colin wasn't driving. I don't get it. What does that mean? It means he wasn't driving, that's all. 
He was still in the truck. He still got hurt. It doesn't change anything. No, no, you're wrong. It has to. Something has to change. Jim, you have every reason to be upset. Right, just wants to make things right. We both do. Yes. How can things be made right when Colin is like he is? I don't know. I don't know. The truth is, this is just a first step. That shouldn't be my son in there. Whoa. What do you say to that, exactly? Right, sit down. I know I did a horrible thing. I'm so sorry. Right, to my knowledge, you're the first person <coughs> to take any responsibility for what happened that day. So I can see, yeah, Jim is very angry. He's like, why after the last four months are you coming to me with this now? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And of course, you know, Harold is like, oh, well, Bright feels terrible for this. And, and even, I mean, Colin's mom, you know, Jim's wife is like, honey, please don't get upset. And it's just like... Jim stands up, and you can definitely see he's, like, a head shorter than Harold, but he looks at him and says, that shouldn't be my son in there. And it's like, damn! But, I mean, he's angry. And just to hear that on the day of Colin's surgery, I get it, like I said, Bright wants to unburden himself. But it turns out... Oh, and even Harold's like, well, this is just the first step. But I'm like, the first step in what, exactly? Um, but, yeah, Colin's mom says she, in a way, has been kind of keeping a secret about the fact that... Oh, there's a bug now. Ew, I'm smushed on the calendar. Ew, sorry. Uh, there's a calendar um, that's on the wall here, and there was a little bug on it, and I was trying to wipe it off, and I ended up smushing it. Um, <laughs> sorry. But she says that... How could she have, she's Colin's mother. I think, you know, she feels a part of her did know. Like, what kind of mother wouldn't know their kid had been drinking that day and had swiped the truck keys and everything? So she even in herself kind of blames herself. But she doesn't blame Bright for what happened. It's like, even though, you know, they're both drinking, the same thing could have happened regardless whether Colin was behind the wheel or not. Who knows? Who knows? Because they weren't there. Only Bright and Colin were there. And they're the only ones that knew. So, um, yeah. I can, I mean, and it just, Harold just looks so affronted when Jim's like, that shouldn't be my son in there. And, you know, his wife is like, 
you know, Jim's went off to blow some steam, blow off some steam. And, you know, his wife's like, Bright, will you stay here with us? He's like, yeah. And he's like, I just, I feel so terrible for what happened. Like, this is all my fault. It just, I mean, I feel for Bright in a way. I mean, this is a lot of guilt that he's been carrying around for, for four months. Granted, yes, we can say, oh, the boys shouldn't have gotten behind the wheel. They should have been wearing seatbelts, which they weren't. We could be saying they could have done this, they could have done that, and they then Colin would have been fine. We don't know. Who's to say that they'd been wearing their seatbelts and they hit that hole and Colin bashed the back of his head on the back of the truck, you know, behind him, and he could have been in the coma that way. We don't know. Or he could have suffered brain damage, or he could have been pinned in the vehicle. The vehicle's fuel tank could have erupted, and he would have been killed that way. We don't know. Any number of things could have happened. So we go back to Ephraim and Amy, and he's like, gosh, I've actually run out of things to say. And he's like, oh, I'm really not this boring. It's just rare that I spend so long with one person. So I'm not usually scraping the bottom of the barrel. And Amy isn't even looking at him. She's just... Her mind's on Colin. She appreciates the distraction, distraction that Ephraim brings and everything, but... And Amy's like, well, it's not you, Ephraim. It's just that this day is starting to feel longer than the four months Colin's been in a coma. And he's like, hey, what are you thinking about? Like, where's your head at? And Amy's like, I'm thinking about the moment when Colin finally wakes up. And I'm thinking... Sweetie, I don't think he's going to wake up right after the surgery. I think it's probably going to take time. And of course, you know, she's thought about this a billion times. Probably played many, many different outcomes in her head. Many scenarios. And you know when things... You do things like that. Like, you play certain scenarios in your head over and over. But you know when the moment happens, it's nothing like you could possibly imagine. Like, say you play in your scenario, I know it probably sounds morbid, but, like, that you get bad news and you think, oh, I'll probably react, I'd probably react this way. But then again, you can't predict, you know, when something's going to happen and how it's going to happen, what you're going to be doing at the moment that you get bad news and stuff like that. So, you could be predicting and playing it, you know, in your head over and over and, yeah. And she tells Ephraim, I know what I'm going to say to him. And he looks away and she says, it's not what you think. She says, I'm going to tell him how sorry, sorry I am. What is she sorry for? That she did, oh, probably that she didn't kiss him goodbye. And he's like, sorry? Like, what are you? And she tells him that there is a whole part of this thing that she has never told anybody about. Really?
say that. It's not what you think. I am going to tell him how sorry I am. Sorry. There's a whole part of this thing I've never told anybody about. <laughs> we had a fight that day. Before he took the drug. A big fight. I told him I loved him. You guys have a weird way of fighting. <laughs> say something, but you just can't. Maybe. Maybe he never really loved me. And do you know what the worst part is? Worse than the waiting and the operation and the tubes and the machines? Sometimes I think he wasn't just going for a joyride that day. I think he was running away from me. Amy. I guess I'm really lame, but it's the truth. I know how you feel. For a long time after a wrong matter accident, I was sure it was my fault. Blaming yourself, it's just a way to try and make sense of something that will never make sense. When the truth is, it was what it was, an accident. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Out of all of the people I've known my whole life, you're the only one who showed up today. So Amy tells Ephraim that she and Colin had a big fight that day, and she says that she had told Colin that she loved him, and Ephraim's like, wow, you guys had a really weird uh, way of fighting. And she's like, well, he didn't say it back. And she feels that maybe he never really loved me at all. Or maybe he was running from me that day when he took the truck and everything. And remember now, Amy is still under the impression that Colin was behind the wheel. So, yeah. That's got to be a bitter pill to swallow. I almost, in a way, I don't know, maybe she thinks he was thinking about their fight and everything and got distracted or whatever, but she doesn't say that. And Ephraim is like, hey, listen, when my mom was in an accident and died, I blamed myself a lot, thinking it was my fault and what, you know, basically he could have done different. Anyway, he tells her it was just an accident. That's exactly what it was. It just happened. It's just one of those things, and it's just an accident. You can't go around blaming yourself. And Amy looked at Ephraim and says, you know, out of all the people I've known my whole life, you're the only one who showed up today. I'm just thinking, where are they in that waiting room? Because she does not know that her brother showed up, that her dad showed up. You know, the hearts, of course, are there, too. And... Andy and Brian come out of the operating room. One thing real quick, going back to Ephraim and what he's saying about how 
you know, trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense when in the case, it, that's all that it was, was an accident. And of course, Amy calls Ephraim amazing how it's kind of amazing how out of all the people in her life that Ephraim is the one that showed up. But then again, I say, why? She's nowhere near anyone else. She doesn't know her dad's there. She doesn't know Bright is there. Let's find out what Dr. Brown and Brian have to say about the outcome of Colin's surgery. Kind of amazing, isn't it? Colin came through very well. We got the chip. Actually, it was two chips. We found a second one during surgery. We had some bleeding we didn't expect, which slowed us down. And I, I can't promise you that it didn't do any damage. We won't know where we stand for a while. In fact, for a week or two, it may seem as though nothing has changed at all. But I want you to know that we've done everything humanly possible to help your son. Can we see him now? It's on his way to ICU. The ORNS will show you the way. Thank you. I don't know what the hell you were talking about last night, Andy. That was awesome. Awesome. You took a damn bone chip out of a damn brain stem. You made history. Easy, Brian. Easy. Down. You're right about one thing, though. You're a different person. You're better than you were before. It was the conditions. And the fact that for the first time in my life, I had a personal stake in the outcome. Whatever it was, I want you to put it in a carry-on bag and come back to New York with me. Sorry. No can do. Hey, it doesn't have to be today. If you finish this sabbatical, come back home. We still need the guy who can fix God's mistakes. This is my home now, Brian. And as for the big guy's mistakes, these days I'm working on one of his bigger ones. And hate the fact that you'll never be as pretty as me. So, yeah, they say that Colin's surgery he came out pretty well. He does say that due to there being a second ship, that, that kind of slowed them down in the surgery. But overall, things look, look pretty good. Now, he did say in the first couple weeks, you're not really going to notice a change. But they, they did as much as they possibly could to save the heart's son. So, and she's like, oh, can we see him? And he's like, yeah, he's being wheeled out, what is it, out of uh, IC, into ICU, of course. And, yeah, all right, well, that's, that's good. Of course, we got Brian trying to get Andy to come back to New York with him. Like, come back home, and Andy's like, no, this is my home now. You know, I'm here to fix, as you say, God's mistakes, but I'm trying to fix an even bigger one. Is And, you know, he's trying to be there with his family and, you know, rebuild these relationships with his daughter and his son. Of course, it's totally forgot. Amy and Ephraim are all by themselves, so they don't know that the surgery... Colin's, uh, you know, the surgery was good. So now it's just kind of a waiting game, waiting to see when Colin will wake up. Andy even told the hearts, like, we don't know if the extra bleeding or whatnot had done any damage. It was basically Andy took a bone chip out of a brain stem. Actually, two of them. So, yeah. So it seems like as soon as Amy's going to get this news that Colin, the surgery went great, 
she's gonna sadly drop Ephraim like a bad habit. Well, not necessarily drop him, but, uh... <clears throat> How is he? He's out of suit right now. You want to see him, Brian? I'm going to show you the way. Okay. <clears throat> Wait, Dr. Brown? Aw, she kisses him on the face. It's more than Ephraim got. <coughs> Considering a career in neurosurgery? I am now. <laughs> Do this with me. I figured. <laughs> so, how'd it go? Okay. I don't know if we did any good. If you're on it, it's wait and see. I was scared. <coughs> scared? Mm-hmm. You called it, Mommy. Or were you scared of? That I would fail calling. Amy. The hearts. You. If you were scared, you would fail me. Yeah. But the music helped. Bobby Short, inspired choice. Where did you work? Not you like to. Travel bugs, huh? Now, I always wondered what people did to kill time while they work. You have a quick game of travel, Scrabble? There's no way I'm playing in Scrabble. You've been published in the Scientific American. <laughs> but I will kick your butt in clue. Oh, I think not, Professor Plum. <laughs> doesn't come travel size? One of the world's greater atrocities. In 2020 it will. Give it 18 years. When things are working right in the universe, <laughs> a loss of innocence is usually followed in time by an increase in humanity. Time is funny like that. For everything it robs us of, it grants us something. Sometimes it's a new friend. Sometimes it's a better understanding of ourselves. Sometimes it's just a perfect day. Wish we had a vaccine. It's getting late. He's right. My dad's gonna lose it if we wait for dinner again. Hang on a second. It's just like. So, going back to Amy learning that Colin's out of surgery, and Andy's like, hey, Brian, we'll show you how to get there, and Amy runs off, but she comes back, hugs Andy, and gives him a kiss on the cheek, <laughs> and she leaves, and Andy's like to Ephraim, so are you considering a career in neurosurgery, or becoming a neurosurgeon, and <laughs> Ephraim's like, I might be. <laughs> Not really, though. So, Andy looks at, like, the Scrabble and 
the clue and kind of wonders like, gosh, I always wonder what people did out here while we worked. But before they get to that, you know, Andy was like, you were, you were right. You know, I was scared because Ephraim asked him like, well, how are you doing? And Andy's like, truthfully, I was scared. And Ephraim's like, well, what do you mean? And Andy says, I was scared. I would fail, you know. Colin, the heart, Amy, you. And Ephraim's like, well, what do you mean you were scared you were going to fail me? And it's just like, and I can I can see it in a way, definitely, uh, uh, Andy feels like he kind of has failed Ephraim, you know, as far as from a father's standpoint. But he said there's so much riding on this surgery. There's so much personability at stake because you know he, he knows Colin in a way just based on every this whole town is just really rallying you know with Colin and everything like that so it's like the odds are if he if he fails and doesn't bring Colin back then the whole town even though this is a world-renowned doctor they're just gonna look at him like you're not the miracle man that we thought you were. But he's just worried about failing in Ephraim's eyes. I mean, he already feels like he had failed as a father, but he feels like, yeah, if I fail and don't bring Colin back, what's that mean for, you know, your relationship with Amy and everything? Like, you'll lose faith in me, Ephraim, because I didn't, you'll think I didn't do all I could have done. Or I, I don't know, you know, this is me just kind of thinking in that regard. Because you know that Andy takes what Ephraim says to heart. He really, really does. You know that Ephraim, even though he's a teenager, and sometimes teenagers will call parents out on their shit. And that's exactly what Ephraim will do from time to time. And sometimes Andy probably feels that Ephraim does hit the nail on the head with what, you know, Andy thinking and feeling, even though he won't admit it to himself. Ephraim sees those fears in his father and calls him like you need to be truthful and honest to yourself and admit when you are scared and of course <laughs> and he's like hey you up for a little travel scrabble <laughs> and Ephraim to his dad is like nah I'm not playing you in scrabble you you were published in the national science magazine or what, whatever it was but it's like all right I'll play a clue though, and Andy's like, "Oh, how? Why don't they, don't they have clue in travel size?" And I'm like, "Wait, 18 years? I'm sure it's probably been out longer than 2020." But I mean, I just I saw that on Amazon. I'm like, "Okay, they do have." I kind of figured eventually they would get around to making all these games more of a compact, handheld size, perfect for trips and whatnot. Then of course we get Irv's narration. And we kind of, we close out the episode like it had opened with a flashback. And it's just really, really sweet. We see Bright and Amy and Colin just resting on a blanket. And they're like, hey, we got to get back. And Amy's like, yeah, dad's going to murder us if we don't get, if we're late for dinner again. It's like, we don't have all day. And Colin's like, no, let's just stay here. No, we have all day. And it just, it just makes me think of how precious time is and how back then it's just like they had the, the world like at their fingertips in a, in a way like the, the time is of the essence or time isn't of the essence and whatnot. Just like, oh, we have all the time in the world. We have all day. And it just, 
thinking back from that and then on to what happened with Colin and everything, it just it really goes to show just how precious life is. But I love ends beginning and ending narrations of the episodes. And Herb says, when things are working right in the universe, a loss of innocence is usually followed. Oh, okay, I kind of, I get it. He says, in time, in time by an increase in humanity. And he says, time is funny like that. Why does it look like it's kind of fall almost with those colors? And Herb continues, for everything it robs us of, it grants us something. Sometimes it's a new friend. Sometimes it's a better understanding of ourselves. Sometimes it's just a perfect day. And I really like, in a, in a way, how he's kind of summing up the, the characters in this episode and the things that they've gone through. And it's just, it's such a, I, I like it closing on just them as the episode began. They're just laying back on that blanket. Amy's in the middle, Bright's on her left, Colin's on her right. And it's just, oh, they got a picnic basket. It's, just, it's a sweet, sweet moment of just... Endless, you know, summer days, you know, the breeze coming up and just feeling comfortable and happy and it's like, oh. Alright, so it's time for the stole my heart, broke my heart, and needs a heart. Oh boy, let me see here. I'm gonna say the moment that stole my heart has definitely gotta be with um because I think I really wanna I I think I'm going to go for Andy and Ephraim's scene at the end, and then runner-up is going to be Ephraim and Amy's scene at the hospital. And then before that was uh, uh, Amy Amy and, yeah, Amy and Ephraim at the hospital, but that's going to be runner-up. But Andy and Ephraim, I like how that scene played out. Um, let's see. I don't really think anyone needs a heart this episode. I really don't. Mm. Let's see. That scene kind of broke my heart. Um, I can say definitely with, with Bright confessing what happened that day. But also kind of the ending scene here where Colin's like, we have all the time in the world. When in a way it's kind of playing on, you know, what happened, you know, life is just so fleeting that things can happen in, in a, a heartbeat that you don't plan for. Just, just make sure you tell that person that you care about, that you do care about them. Even though you think, oh, they know, but it's like, you never know when you're not going to be able to, you, you, you may not get that moment back. You may not get a second chance. So... Definitely treasure those moments that you get. So yeah, like I said, there is no, no one needs a heart in this episode like someone was accurate. Like, no, I mean, I get it. Jim was angry. Maybe Bright confessing there at the hospital while Colin's being worked on was not the best time. But yeah. Overall, like, I really liked this episode. I'm really looking forward to what's going to be coming soon. In, in the future with, with the episodes when we deal with, uh, you know, Colin's surgery's over. Now we're going to be, like, seeing what's going to come next for Colin and the Hearts and Amy and Ephraim. What's that mean for their friendship when Colin eventually awakens? How's that going to go? And, of course, the episode I'll be talking about in July is going to be Season 1, Episode 8, entitled... 
till death do us part. As his wedding anniversary draws near, Andy loses all hope and questions whether he will ever feel his life is worth living again. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, Ephraim and Amy share their first kiss while on a field trip. Ooh boy. And Dr. Abbott has a panic attack when his wife Rose proposes they take salsa dancing lessons. Well, of course Harold would because that's not really, he's not uh, big on that. That's not, uh, <laughs> of course we do have a guest star of a early aughts show, Miss Melinda Clark. Yeah. She plays a reverend, reverend's wife in this, but of course we all know her as Julie Cooper from the OC that ran from 2003 to 2007, so... All right, everybody. I'm looking forward. So this will be coming. Till death do us part will be coming out in July. We're gonna take a small little break, and I'm gonna come back in October because, of course, if you've been listening to my other podcasts and this one, you know I'm going to be moving, like moving out of state. So that is a, a big, big thing as we get things, you know, ramping up, getting things more things packed, getting the house on the market, actually getting, so yeah, basically July is going to be my big podcasting month for me, and then, yeah, so, all right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode, I, as always, love covering episodes of Everwood, as I've said, it's been a while since I watched it, so, some of this stuff I've forgotten, and it's almost like watching it new again for the first time, so, All right. Have a good week, everybody, and have a great July.